2: This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes.
3: I'm Rebecca lynn from Rebecca Drives.
4: And I'm Sam sam Samus from Guidehouse Insights.
2: All right, we gotta keep changing up the order so that everybody stays engaged and listens. I think that's the way we're gonna grow our audience. Okay. Who is it this exactly. time? Um, let's get to what we're driving. Uh, and Rebecca, you have spoken in such glowing terms about the BMW X3 E. I want to know why you love it so much. Cause the last time I was in an X3, I was kind of like,
3: Meh. <laughs> well, it, it could be a little bit of, because it was familiar and like putting on a, a, a favorite pair of old, you know, slippers. I had uh, BMWs for 10 years. I had a mini first, and then I had two X3s and an X5. And I will say that I, you know, there's things that I really, really loved about it. And I think it just was, it was very drama free, Mm -hmm. which I appreciated. So one thing to note is that this was the, the plug in electric. So it was the X3 uh, E drive, the third, the X-Drive 30, I think it's called. X-Drive 30e is with uh, the <laughs> BMW's exactly.
4: nomenclature is uh, so ridiculous. It,
3: it it is it is ridiculous. Only to be surpassed by Mercedes. So so this one gets uh, it has sixty up to sixty miles of electric range, and you know on unfortunately I was only able to charge it on a low one ten typical one ten volt, which then leads me to say that I really have to see about getting a high speed charger in my house. But anyway, so I think what I liked about it was that it just it was very familiar for me. The ergonomics inside was was easy to get to know. Things were where I wanted them to be. So, you know, the wireless charging pad was right there, which worked really well. The thing that did not work so well was that stupid gestures thing. Like <laughs> I just ended up doing that scene from when Harry met Sally. What are you saying that you fit you know and it, it just <laughs> so i don't i don't see the value in the gesture and my favorite part was when it would remind me that it was there oh that the gesture is it yes yes like you know know? i would would turn the volume up manually and it would be like oh no no you can do that no so that so (laughs) you know it comes with the car unfortunately because otherwise i would never pay for something like that is it standard equipment no, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not. It, it comes with part of a package, you which can, I would get like yeah. heated steering wheel and stuff. So it's the executive package.
2: So you can disable all that stuff too. I don't know. I'm pretty sure you can probably disable the uh, the suggestions too. Because the first time I had a BMW with the gestures, I was very skeptical. I was like, ah, we don't need that. And then I tried it on another one, and I was okay. like, okay, okay, I get it. But every now and then, you you'll Australians will use exactly. our hands, <laughs> and uh, it'll it'll do something you didn't expect. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. Is I just I feel like it's 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 a waste of of investment in in R and D. You know, it's one of those like I just don't I don't see what it really adds to the vehicle very much. There was other things I really liked about it. Certainly, the acceleration with the E-Drive was very good. It seamlessly transitioned from using the when I when I ran out of my e miles, which was. You know, pretty quickly, uh, it seamlessly transitioned to the gas engine. I actually got almost 35 miles to the gallon. So let me, so which was impressive because I can tell you that my previous X3s got nowhere near that, and that was with a lot of stop and go traffic. That was on the highway. It was definitely a combination. So from that standpoint, you're getting really, really good fuel economy with very few compromises, which I very much appreciated. I also really liked the navigation system and the heads up display was very, very useful. So there were things that were really, really good about it. Like I felt like it was that combination, as I said, of like putting on an old pair of slippers that are super comfy and very cozy with some really new, very latest technology. You know, from an exterior standpoint, It's a pretty standard-looking BMW. They haven't really pushed the envelope from a design standpoint. But that didn't bother me. Like, you know, I kind of liked being almost anonymous in... You know, in a Gen X kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: I mean, well, and, and, cer- and certainly, you know, in in Greenwich, Connecticut, you know, being in a in an X three, you probably would be pretty anonymous. I mean, oh you
2: know. yeah, I mean, in yeah. X three in Greenwich is almost like that's that's the kid's first car when they're oh, well. Exactly.
3: If anything, I was like the oldest X three driver in the, <laughs> in Greenwich. And,
4: yeah. and certainly, you know, getting thirty five miles per gallon, um, you know, is is impressive. You know, especially if you can plug it in, you know. You know, I think it's, uh, I was just checking the uh, EPA website. You know, it's 18 mile, officially rated 18 miles of, of electric range. You know, you can do a lot of your daily commuting without using any gas, you know. So, and then once you go beyond that, you know, 35 is pretty easy to do.
3: Yeah. So, I drove a total of 65 miles in EV range. So Over, it over did, the course of a week? Over the course of a week. Yeah. I, there was only a couple nights that I was able to charge it. Uh, the first night when I was at home, it actually didn't charge. And, and that was, you know, court driver operator error. Um, I didn't realize that it wasn't charging. I thought it had, I thought I had plugged in properly. I was using an outside plug and apparently it didn't work. This, well, so the that's second... one of the
2: things that, that can be confusing though, with, with absolutely charging them. I had that issue with, um, I forget which, which car it was, whether it was a PHEV or an EV, but it was the same thing. It was like, is this thing, this thing plugged in? Is this thing, is it, is it charging? And it, it turned out, I think it was the Leaf. I had it on a um, an ungrounded uh, plug. Right. Un- un- old house. So
3: yeah. uh, well, I had to
2: switch plugs and then it, it was fine. It, the charger could sense that it had a, a grounded plug and off it went.
3: Right. But I did not realize that it wasn't charging, which again, you know, we get these cars for a week. So as an owner, I think you would get to know what the different colors mean and stuff. Because then when I came out that morning and it wasn't charged... But I do wish that it had kind of flashed a little bit of like – that because I looked at the dash because the dash actually said that it was going to be like 14 hours till yeah. a full charge. So, I'm under the impression that it's charging.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, you know, but then when I did charge Once you plug it, it in,
4: it's, it starts the 14-hour timer. Oh, yeah, <laughs> once, exactly. Once you get it connected and get <laughs> exactly. electrons flowing. Yes.
3: Right, exactly. So – you know and then when I actually did get it charged I, I was I was taking care of my mom so it was up at my sister's but so I plugged it into my sister's garage and the blue little like the little blue light inside the 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 charging device on the car that changed it was white when I wasn't charging it was blue when I was charging that was the only indication that I had successfully charged it because otherwise it looked the same. The, like the the experience from the dashboard standpoint looked the same, and it actually wasn't charging. So these yeah. are just things to get to know.
4: To, yeah, I mean, to you know, for somebody who's you know an owner of one of these vehicles, I think one of the advantages you do have um, is you know almost all of these, including the BMWs, they have an associated app, uh, a smartphone yes. app. So yes. you can actually monitor your charging on that because these vehicles are connected. So you can check and see, you know, is it charging? You can also right. use it to schedule your charging. You know, if you have if you do have a 240 volt charger in your garage, you, right. know, you can plug it in, but have it not actually start charging until later. You know, when you're, you know, off whatever peak. time your, your local utility goes to off peak rates. So you pay less. Uh, so, you know, that. For, for a regular owner, you know, for us, usually sometimes, you know, I know with some vehicles, I've been able to get, you know, the app working on my own phone, you know, create an account and, and get it connected to that car and be able to monitor stuff. A lot of times we can't because they'll have that vehicle connected to a corporate account. Right. And and so, you know, we can't use the apps, uh, but yeah, that that's, that's something that would help for, for a, an average user.
2: Yeah. Right. BMW, I think you do. We, as, as reviewers miss out on a big part of the ownership experience because uh, you can do quite a bit through the app, um, even with, with navigation and the way they want their cars to feel like an extension of that, that smartphone um, mm-hmm. experience where it learns your route and it tells you, hey, you know, it checks traffic around the times you would commute and stuff. So it, it, it tries to be, you know, very helpful and integrate in your life um, with the app. And if you don't have it, you know, then we're 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 reporting about the car and the driving and sort of the things that we've always talked about. But we're we're kind of blind to that other part of the ownership experience. It actually may be really important and and really um, delightful. <laughs> to, yeah. To an owner, um, <clears throat> this is the uh, the same powertrain that's in the um, the the Mini Countryman uh, electric, right? No,
4: because no. um, okay. the, the Countryman is a transverse uh, drivetrain. So the 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 Countryman uses uh, it's actually a, a, a through the road hybrid. So the electric motors on the rear axle on the hybrid, on the the countryman, and then the internal combustion engine powers the front wheels. So this is actually the same powertrain that they use in the three series, the five series, and even the seven series and the, and the X five. So it's, it's a rear drive setup, and the, the motor is packaged between the engine and the transmission input.
2: Okay. How, how is it? Is it pretty smooth? Like when it, when it hands off and stuff?
3: I felt like it was very, very smooth. And I have to apologize. I misspoke at the beginning. It's not 60 miles of range, Sam. As you said, it's 20 miles of range. But I got, um, I drove it for, for a little over 60 miles in EV range. Um, it was very smooth. It, it, was, it was a really smooth transition. I didn't really notice it at all. You know, I guess the question in some ways is, is it worth it to invest in, the e drive, uh, and and I don't know if it is. You know, it's obviously you're paying a little bit more. There, are you it is eligible depending upon your state. Uh, it is eligible for uh, for you know federal tax credits and state state level tax credits. It's actually not that much more expensive so the X drive 30i starts at 43 this one starts at 49 Um the one that I tested was almost was just over 60,000 that includes destination so you know I think it it's to Sam's point earlier of you can do a lot of driving in EV mode you can which of course would save on gas and 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 you know stopping at the gas station and such but it does mean that you are charging it basically every night because it has a pretty short range. So it's that balance between, you know, is it worth it to you or not? I am a topic we'll talk about in a little bit later on the Nissan call uh, with the Aria. I said, you know, how do we, I asked the question of how do we convince consumers that an EV is better than what they have currently. And, the gentleman whose name it wasn't Alfonso it was the other guy who I don't know and he said you know well you don't have to go to the gas station I'm like yeah and I didn't want to be argumentative I didn't want to be an ass but you know I was like yeah but dragging that cord through the snow every night you know or <laughs> or, or you know, the mud and the rain at home is not attractive either like yesterday I got gas uh, in, in New Jersey and I didn't even have to get out of
2: my car well you can't <laughs> you know? in New Jersey you're not <laughs>
3: right exactly but you know what I mean like I'm like <laughs> It's not a big deal to spend five minutes at the gas station. It is a big deal. And I've experienced this because I don't have, I don't pull into a garage at night. I have experienced this, you know, slogging through the snow and the rain and it's gross. And, you know, so I think that, you know, this PHEV, it's a, it's a nice, uh, you know, it's a nice to have, and again, for tax credits, maybe if you're getting, a, you know, if when if and when we all start to commute again, maybe there's benefits to HOV lane access and special parking and things like that. But I can't say that I would tell our listeners you have to get this PHVB. I will say that if this is the size vehicle, this five seat, you know. Uh, Kind of you know, compact SUV. If that's the size vehicle that you're looking for, I really did enjoy this vehicle. And um, by contrast, I'm I'm actually actively right now driving the Mercedes GLC 43 AMG, uh, and I like it a lot. I will say that it's a little has a little bit more drama driving it. I <laughs> do like I do like the X3 a little bit better. Well, but the AMG
2: is supposed to have a little bit more. Yeah, I mean that's no. the whole point. <laughs> um, but no, I, I uh, no, but
3: I mean I. I and, and I don't I don't mean that it's not fun to drive. I mean, the, the Mercedes is is it's tons of fun to drive. It's
2: the other um, stuff that you don't like as much. Yeah. It's
3: the other stuff. Yeah. Right. The H. The, it, oh. it's, um, so the
2: undesirable
4: drama.
3: Yes, exactly. Right. No, no. It's, 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 <laughs> to me, most most drama is undesirable.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: that, that's my Norwegian side. Yeah, not italian right. side Italian.
4: <laughs> you know, to, to, to your point about, you know, who should you know, whether you should get the plug-in hybrid, you know, I think this is this is a larger issue just in general with electrified vehicles. You know, the, the process of deciding what vehicle to buy today, you know, is in many ways more complicated than ever. You know, in, in the past, you know, when we were just talking about, you know, you might have a choice of different gas engines, you know, it's like, do you want something that's a little slower, maybe a little more fuel efficient, or do you want something that's faster? You know, you go for the big engine or the little engine, you know, now you you really have to take into account your lifestyle. Do you live in an apartment? Do you live in a house? Do you live in a house that has street parking, you know, like like you do in a lot of city areas, urban areas, or do you live in a house with a garage? Do you park your car in the garage or in the driveway? All those questions are going to have an impact on, you know, your decision about what is the right choice for you. If you don't park in a garage, you know, a regular hybrid you know, might be a better choice for you because you don't have to plug it in, you don't have to deal with any of that. You still get great fuel economy. If you can park in a garage, you know, then you know the com- You know what you were talking about with respect to dragging the cord around in the snow or the rain becomes kind of a moot point. One of the reasons why we see a lot of EVs, you know, being bought in California is a lot of these issues are not an they're not an issue for people in California, whereas in Michigan or Wisconsin or connecticut or massachusetts they are more of an issue if you don't have easy access to you know a place where you can plug in then um you know then a plug-in is maybe not the right choice Uh, both automakers and regulators have started to realize over the last few years is a lot of the people that have bought plug-in hybrids end up not actually plugging them in in which case now if you never plug it in you haven't gained anything over a regular hybrid, but you've paid more for the vehicle. You're hauling around extra mass for that bigger battery, which is actually going to give you worse fuel economy than just a regular hybrid. And you know, like for example, in uh, in England, uh, you know, where in London they have a congestion zone, and you can get exempted from paying the congestion charge if you have a vehicle that you know has a CO2 rating below a certain threshold. Um, you know, a lot of people bought plug-in hybrids, you know, to get that. You know, exemption sticker, but now they don't actually plug it in. Uh, you know, they found that something like 90%, you know, didn't plug it in. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to Ford, you know, asking about their telemetry data on, you know, their plug-in hybrids that they were selling, you know, how many, you know, how many people actually charged. And they said that roughly a third of people charged their plug-in hybrids every day, a third plugged them in occasionally, and one third never plugged them in. So, <laughs> You know, this is why BMW has been experimenting with wireless charging. You know, and mm-hmm. particularly for plug-in hybrids. You know, for battery electrics, you know, you have no choice but to plug it in at some point. You have to do it. But for a plug-in hybrid, you want to make that process as seamless and frictionless as possible. So, um, you know, in BMW did a pilot in Germany, and then also last year in California with Electricity, who makes a wireless charging system you know off you know offering wireless charging so you have a pad you know that you install on the floor in your garage there's another uh, receiver pad that goes on the bottom of the car and you just pull in over the pad and it automatically starts charging and you don't have to mess with a cord or anything um you know it works but it's slower than plugging in but then again you know for the size of a battery that's in a plug in hybrid you know it's uh you know you can usually get a full charge overnight anyway uh, but it's also still considerably more expensive. You know, that price is going to come down. You know, so I think, you know, by, you know, middle of the decade, we'll start seeing wireless charging becoming more readily available, especially for plug-in hybrids. Um, and, you know, then then those might become a more popular option.
3: Right. And it also does still require, really kind of requires a garage. Yeah. Because Not assuming those things can't sit outside. If they can, can sit outside, can do that's it fine. outdoors.
4: The pad's pretty flat. You just put it, you know, you can... Mount it anywhere, and uh, you know these things are designed to be weatherproof.
3: The price of installing a charger in the home has come down considerably as well. The ChargePoint HomeFlex device is seven hundred dollars at Home Depot. You know they're down to six hundred dollars in some places. Amazon is working closely with a lot of these uh, I've,
4: companies. Yeah, I've, I've looked around. You can actually find two uh, forty volt chargers for as little as four hundred dollars, right. and and the you know and then depending on you know how much. Uh, electrical work you have to get done, you know, to have a circuit, it could be anywhere from, you know, three or $400. Or, you know, if you have a 240 volt circuit in your garage already, then you just plug it in. You're good to go. Um, You know, otherwise it could be anywhere from a few hundred dollars to about a thousand bucks. You know, a lot of utilities, will have mm. rebate programs for chargers. So they will they will give you, you know, a hundred percent rebate on the charger. So you basically get the charger for free.
3: So I'm actually gonna be looking into this. I I do have a two twenty volt because my solar system runs off of it and it's in the garage. I'm hoping that they don't have to that they can basically fit it on the same wall. But I will document my experience and let our listeners know.
2: You know, back to your question about how to convince buyers that the the hybrid or the electric is the thing to buy. I think uh, when you start to when you do the the calculation of comparing the the cost of of uh, gas versus the the additional cost of the electric car and try to make that sort of pencil out your your you know sort of payback period, it that's bad looking math. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, it's it's kind of never going to get there um over the certain course of normal ownership, but Really, I, and this is a really, it sounds like an automaker PR statement, but really the, the best way to convince somebody about EVs and, and, uh, PHEVs is just drive one in electric mm-hmm. mode. They drive so, uh, electric cars drive so well. <laughs> They're just, it's such a different experience. It's really pleasant. Um, I think that makes, uh, a, a bigger impact than like, oh yeah, you know, you can run it off batteries for, uh, you know, most of your driving and stuff. The
3: marketing of, EVs has never been accurate in my mind. They they really pushed this as an urban solution, which was a terrible idea because very few, you know, Urban people have access to a, yeah. a charger. Or I mean, who a, wants
2: a car at all in an urban uh, setting?
3: Uh, right. I mean, they, but again, this is, they based it very much off of a California experience. And, and I, I am biased in that the New York, you know, the New York, Boston cities that I've lived in uh, tend to not have access to electricity into you know, a, a plug
2: you get nothing so, right yeah
3: this, this is this is a great suburban solution yeah. and and always has been it, you know you take the train into the city but you drive from your mcmansion to your train to the train station <laughs> and you go to the same train station because you've got to have a permit for that train station so you're going to the same place every day and then taking the train in That's a great solution, and having charging ports at the train station even would solve a lot of these. You're there, you know. You know you're going to be at the office for ten hours a day. Have the ability to charge it at the train station, and you know, when I was on the barriers to electric vehicle deployment, I talked about this. You know, work with some of these companies, local companies, or companies even that are in the city that people are working for. So if you're, you know, working for Bank of America and you're working in the city, have Bank of America sponsor charges at train stations. Yeah. Things like that. Like it's it's a broader scope.
4: Well, yeah, know, well and- I think the, the original the original challenge, you know, was, you know, urban areas tend to be where you have the worst air quality problems. And oh, so they wanted yes. to they wanted to replace ICE vehicles with electrics in urban areas because that would address the air quality problem. But you know it, as you said it has its own issues because you know where are you going to charge it most people that li- if you live in an urban area you know ch- odds are you don't have any place you don't have a dedicated place or if you do you probably don't have some place to plug in and you know the other the other challenge of course was the cost of batteries in the first generation yes, of EVs was so sure. high that you know you ended up with cars like the Leaf that had a relatively short range and so again that tend to, to suit the urban environment better where you didn't need the range but you know as, as we've learned over the last decade you know the ones the the, the argument for EVs that really appealed was the performance argument <laughs> yeah. that's what people ended up actually buying and that's why Tesla has been <laughs> successful.
3: So I have a second vehicle, but I've spent a lot of time. Oh my talking, goodness! So we'll, we can we can pass on that one.
2: Well, can you at least uh, like uh, give us a, a tease? What what is it? It
3: was, it was it's a it's a little Fiat 500 X, and it was a riot.
2: Oh, okay. It, and
3: it broke my you know Fiat obviously is not doing very well, and this thing was just a riot. I mean, it was fun to drive. You zip around in it, you know. It's it's kind of almost old school, I think. And um, the only the only little bit of a shock to me was first of all the fuel economy was absolutely terrible. Yep. So I got I got 22 miles to a gallon in this thing. It's rated for 26. And I wasn't I mean yeah I was kind of tossing it around sometimes but <laughs> but, but the other thing too and But and it wants I mean, to it, be tossed. Well it do, it does. It wants to be tossed. The other thing too and we've talked about this on this program before. Destination charge of $1,495. Which is insane. That X3 has a destination charge of nine ninety five. But we've talked about Fiat Chrysler. This Fiat 500X was 35895 Are you kidding me? Oh,
2: that's like, that's, a, that's a who pays that's, retail kind of thing, though. It, yeah, that's... I, I know, but still.
3: <laughs> that's stupid. I mean, obviously, you're not going to pay, but it is stupid. It yeah. is. So, so, absolute blast to drive. You know, super cute. You talk about not being anonymous and having a lot of fun drama. This was a fun drama, not anonymous. Everybody looked at it kind of car. Uh, But for $35,000, there's so many better choices. And that's why Fiat is where they are today.
2: All right, well, we'll pick that back up next there week.
3: There you
2: go, <laughs> Sam. What have you? Uh, you've been driving. You've had a couple of vehicles as well. Um, yeah.
4: So let's let's start with the the Honda CRV hybrid. Oh, really want to. Do you want
2: to keep it all BMW? <laughs> uh, we'll,
4: we'll come. We'll come to that in a minute. I'll okay. keep I'll keep the the Honda relatively short. Um, you know, last when you had it a couple of months ago, Rebecca, you talked about the the noise that was coming yes, when it was in hybrid. I car. did. And you know, as soon as I started the car up you know, uh, and put it in reverse, uh, to maneuver, to reposition it in my driveway. I immediately heard it. I, I knew what it was. And, you know, it is the sound that they, you know, that manufacturers are adding to electrified vehicles when they're in EV mode, you know, to alert pedestrians around them. And, you know, the, the challenge with, with this, you know, when you're creating these synthetic sounds is, you know, how do you come up with something that is going to provide alerts to, you know, vulnerable road users around you that, hey, there is a vehicle here? Because, you know, someone who is vision impaired, uh, you know, if they're, you know, if they're standing at a crosswalk, they can hear most of the time hear an internal combustion engine car coming towards them. You know, but it's much harder to hear an EV, uh, you know, coming towards you or, or a hybrid that's in EV mode. And you know, so they're they're adding these sounds to the vehicles that typically phase out, you know, somewhere around 20 miles an hour or so. Um, it sounds like the one you had, that sound was on all the time. Um, the uh, they may they may have made a software change somewhere along the way uh, because the one I drove, it only came on when you actually put it in gear, when you put it in reverse or in drive. So when it was in park, the, it was completely silent.
3: That sound, and I appreciate what it's trying to do, but somebody who is vision impaired would be more likely to call a vet because it sounded like a sick cat.
2: (laughs) You know, I I think they're missing out on an opportunity. uh, This
3: was like, it, it was, I mean, it's like a minor key nails on chalkboard sound. I I don't know. I
4: I suspect that the the one you drove may have been a a (laughs) pre-production model that may have had an early, a different sound because the the one I had, you know, more like, you know, kind of a spaceship kind of sound to it.
3: Oh gosh. But, But the other thing too, people, people that were walking. It didn't alert people; it alarmed people.
4: Yeah, and that's that's why I, I suspect that they may have changed the sound in between the time you drove it and okay. what I drove because I of you so. on this podcast they listen
2: exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think they're missing an opportunity though to make the sound something that you can like, you know, like you download ringtones. You can download your your alert sound.
4: Well, and and I think that they will do dancing. that. And, and in fact, you know, <laughs> Porsche, Porsche actually on the Taycan actually is offering. You know, you can you can buy different sound packages for the Tycon. That's awesome. At at, at an extremely exorbitant price, of course. course. Well, but you know, it's a Porsche, so it must be. But um, you know, I think we will see manufacturers start to do that. I'm I'm guessing we're going to see you know more of this. You know, trying to trying to find the right kind of sound to you know give you uh, an, an audio hint of what it is that's coming at you. You know, and provide that alert to. You know, to people that hey, there's there's an electrified vehicle in the area. Beyond that, you know the the rest of it. You know the CRVs. You know it's a nice it's a nice compact crossover. You know we took it to uh, to go out to the lake and you know took Daisy and out there and you know the paddle board and everything. And you know it's great. You know it's fairly roomy. You know it drives fine. You know the driving dynamics of the CRV are good. It doesn't get the most exceptional fuel economy. It's it only got about 35 miles per gallon during my week with it. And you know I wasn't beating it up or anything uh you know and you know compared to the rav4 or the escape hybrids you know they they definitely do better they get closer to 40 miles per gallon 35 is not bad for you know it's 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 much better than than a typical gas engine in a in a vehicle of this type but it's not it's not exceptional um and uh you know and then of course you know we had we had the complaints about the infotainment system in there which we don't need to you know don't yet. need to belabor well, the
3: point. Right now. <laughs> and you know what, to your point, Sam, the I'm just looking back at because I had the Hyundai Sonata hybrid, that got forty six miles per gallon. I mean, and it's a sedan, granted, but still, to your point, like that I'll look back too and, and see what I got on the CRV. I don't remember right off the top of my head. But yeah, that that was kind of a a little bit unremarkable, I thought
4: yeah, I've actually got the Sonata hybrid in the driveway right now. I got it the other day. Um, and so far it's getting like 52. So wow, yeah. Um, and it, it actually makes kind of a similar sound to the, <laughs> to the CRV, although oh. it's, it's not as prominent when you're outside. I actually really noticed it when I was going through a parking garage. It was much more noticeable in there because you get the reflection off the, the wall. Okay, the so garage.
3: I did not notice that in the I did not have that same experience. With the sound, in. yeah, it's
4: it's much more subdued in the Hyundai.
3: And you know what? It looks like I got thirty-five miles per gallon
4: with the Honda. With the Honda, okay.
2: So I guess that's so, about what it's going to get is about thirty-five miles per gallon. And, and yeah. I think
4: that's that's what most people are getting is somewhere around 35, 36. Okay. So that's I got still exactly pretty 35. good for, yeah, that's, that's still pretty good for, yeah. for that, size, for that size. I mean, you know, yeah. compared to getting 22 in the, the Fiat 500X. Yeah, it, know,
3: well, it, no, absolutely. In a much larger vehicle. Right. Absolutely. No, for sure. I mean, and a much more useful and for sure. So, yeah. So it looks like that's what, that's what I averaged.
2: But the, uh, so the class though, the, um, the RAV4 and uh, the, the Escape probably
4: do a little better. Yeah. They get about 40 to 42. Yeah. Um, and
3: I mean, when you think about it, like that is absolutely fantastic. Cause you remember that it was always like the goal was 40 miles per gallon for cars. Mm-hmm. Like that was a stretch goal. So from that standpoint, it's really impressive when we're talking about these numbers.
4: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even, you know, when they were doing the, you know, the the new CAFE standards, you know, over the past decade, when they talked about, you know, 54 and a half miles per gallon, that 54 and a half mile per gallon threshold, that was actually the unadjusted value. That's based on the old original two cycle system, um, you know, which was always very optimistic number. And that 54 miles per gallon, you know, in in terms of the label values that we actually see in real world fuel economy that actually translates to roughly about 40 41 miles per gallon real world so you know having these compact crossovers that are actually getting real world 40 miles per gallon today you know proves that it you know it is very feasible to get you know to hit that threshold you know in the type of vehicle that most people are buying today you know or or a lot of people are buying today You know, it's, it's very practical and you're not sacrificing anything in terms of performance. You know, these, these things have, you know, as good acceleration as, you know, anything we were driving, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, in terms of mainstream vehicles.
3: Well, if anything, you know, when I had the Prius and that, that was a little bit more of a compromise. I felt like it, it's still from a, from an overall experience, you know, and, and, and Yesterday I went to pick up something in New Jersey and the guy that I bought it from I posted on my Instagram the guy that I bought it from had a 10 year old Prius with 306,000 miles or three, I think it has 310,000 miles on it now absolutely loves the thing so it served its purpose but there's so many other vehicles out there now that aren't compromising and still getting these you know just incredibly incredibly good fuel economy numbers
4: Right. And and I think that's a, you know, that's a big part of why, you know, we've seen this shift. You know, you look at Toyota sales, there's been a shift from Prius, um, you know, to other vehicles, you know, particularly the RAV4 hybrid. Uh, you know, the RAV4 hybrid is now Toyota's best-selling hybrid. They sold yes. almost 100,000 last year versus about 67,000 Priuses, you know, and so. Is that know, what the, Prius
3: the, is down to? 67,000?
4: Yeah, wow. yeah the, the you know, the Prius you know, has, has been hit in two directions. You know, the people who were early adopters who are really green enthusiasts, you know, that were Prius owners, a lot of them have gone to EVs and then, you know, the rest, you know, that just, you know, wanted something with better fuel economy. They've, they've shifted over to other hybrids, you know, that are, you know, more along that are less weird looking for one thing, but you know, that offer other, other capabilities, you know, like what you have in a crossover where, you know, you're, in most cases, you're not giving up that much in terms of fuel economy relative to a Prius. You know, you have 50 miles per gallon versus 40, 42. But you know, once you get past about 35, you know, 35 to 40 miles per gallon, you know, because when you look at the actual fuel consumption, how much, how many gallons of gas you're using per, per mile or per hundred miles, that number starts to decrease. You know, it, it's it's an inverse relationship, and I can include an article a link to an article I wrote back in like 2008 or nine for autoblog green that explains it all. Yeah. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, once you get past 40, you know, the incremental reduction in fuel consumption and CO2 starts to, starts to you know taper off pretty dramatically. Well, it and starts so, to get
2: much more expensive too.
4: Yeah. So the difference between 40 miles per gallon and 50 miles per gallon in terms of your environmental impact is actually very small. Um, Especially, you know, given the, you know, for the average number of miles that you know typical consumers drive of twelve to fifteen thousand miles a year. So, anyway, I think that's enough about the the, <laughs> the, the CRV. Um, the the other one I had was the BMW eight forty i, which consumed you know, and,
2: quite a bit more fuel. Well, more, <laughs> yes,
4: but not as bad as you might think. Um, so the the eight forty i is the the entry level version of the eight series. And it's, it's funny, I, I was thinking as I as I drove this thing, you know. The first time I ever drove a BMW was 30 years ago, um, you know, when uh, when I was in my first job after college working at GM, working at the GM Proving Grounds on ABS for, for what was then Delco Moraine. And, you know, GM had uh, a fleet of competitive vehicles uh, that they used for benchmarking. And, you know, at the time, you know, they had somewhere between 150 and 200 vehicles, you know, in the fleet, you know, around – uh, mostly mostly around Michigan, but in other areas as well, that they rotate, you know, when they weren't doing specific testing with them, they rotated them through various departments at Milford and at the tech center, um, you know, to get give people an opportunity to, to try them out. <clears throat> and the first BMW I ever drove was an 850i. The, the original eight series, oh. you know, which debuted happened to have debuted that year.
2: So, what did they think that that was competitive with?
4: De- <laughs> would BMW think the eight fifty I was? competitive? No, no, no.
2: With? What did what did GM oh. think they made that competed with the eight fifty I? Yeah,
4: nothing really at the time. Probably, probably the closest thing that you know that they may have been, you know, may have been a stretch goal for them would, would be like the Elante, the Cadillac Elante.
2: Oh, that would have been quite a stretch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a stretch.
3: I think uh, I I had the eight fifty, the eight forty uh, back in March. I'm sorry, April. It was delish.
4: Yeah, and, and Dan, you had the convertible previously. too. I, I did. Think. I had
2: the. I think mine was the eight fifty. I had it last uh, last summer, and I, I that car is so much. Um, <laughs> but when you start to to. Sort of understand who it's for and and what it does. It's it's actually it's really really well done. It's so rigid the, mm-hmm. the convertible, and I'm sure that the coupe also is just solid and and it performs. I mean, you really can't fault these things for for, for performance anymore. They they all perform so well that they they just scramble your brain anyway. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, you know, as I was working on a review uh, the other day uh, on this thing, you know, I started going back and. Pulling up some of the specs on the 850i. So, this was 1990, you know, almost exactly 30 years ago uh, that I drove this thing. It was, it was in the fall of wow. that year.
2: That's amazing. And
4: that 850i was powered by a five liter V12 engine,
2: which I would take that, all day, any day. I don't care yeah, if it makes two horsepower. But,
4: <laughs> <laughs> that thing had 296 horsepower. And just over 300 foot-pounds of torque, which at the time, you know, I mean, that was a lot. I don't know. You know that mean, wasn't, I mean, that's just, that's the same. In 19, mean, in 1990, that was quite a bit. So it was pretty powerful.
2: Let's see, 200, that's about the same amount of torque as you'd get from, well, I mean, I guess it's five liters. So, but from the, the 302, from the Ford right.
4: And, and in fact, you know, I had, you know, at the time, I, I had just bought, um, you know, a five liter LX Mustang. Which had 225 horsepower, right? And so the, the BMW you know, which, had which was considered a lot more. in 1990. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, now, you know, I mean, that's, you know, four cylinder engines, you know, do that <laughs> without, even, you know, getting above idle. But, um, you know, so this thing had, you know, shy of 300 horsepower from a, a V12 engine, which was a beautiful engine. I mean, it was smooth silk and you know, it just, it was amazing. Um, but that that car and you know it that thing you know it had a unique look to it it was very unlike almost unlike any other bmw the only thing that was you know that was remotely like it you know was the original m1 you know it had you know this very slim nose you know and dan you and i were chatting with casey liss on slack yeah. the other day about this <laughs> you know about how bmw grills have gotten insane you know, the, the original H-Series had this slimline nose with this tiny little version of the twin kidney grille and had pop-up headlights. And it was the only other BMW with pop-up headlights was, was the M1, the original M1, you know, which also had a similarly small version of the twin kidney grille. Uh, you know, and in some ways, you know, that, that car, that was, that was an interesting period for BMW design, you know, because they were, it was the first attempt to kind of transition away from their classic look. You know, of the forward-leaning grills, you know, the sedans and coupes, uh, you know, from the old 6 Series and the the 3s and the the 5 Series and the the original 7s to something more contemporary and modern. You know, in that same period, you had the Z1 Roadster, which had the doors that you know slid down into the sills pocket doors yeah. Uh, yeah exactly pocket doors um you know in fact my house has pocket doors yeah. so um but uh you know so you had those those weird doors um you had the uh you know that was the the e36 uh three series you know which you know was a dramatic change for the three series you know when all the threes before that you know had the same kind of classic bmw sedan look you know and they, they made a dramatic shift you know, and then, you know, through that period, the first half of the 90s, they were doing a lot of interesting things. And then, you know, they went through several, they've gone through several phases over the years since. But, you know, this new 8 Series, you know, is much, much less of a, a step out for BMW. And it was funny when I posted a picture of it on um, on Instagram, uh, Ben Wadilla, uh, who used to uh, write for Jalopnik, um, he, he's, <laughs> he commented, Gee, that's a funny-looking Mustang.
0: <laughs> and in fact, when you
4: look at it in profile, it the profile is not dramatically different from a current-generation Mustang. It is larger. It's almost a foot longer than a Mustang. But, you know, it's got a similar kind of, you know, profile to it. And, uh, you know, so it's it's much less of a departure design-wise for BMW. But I think it is executed beautifully. I think it, you know, it looks fantastic on the outside looks really nice on the inside you know again going back i look back at the original car and driver review of the 850i that rich seppos wrote in 1990 and you know the interior you know bmw interiors in those days were often very stark you know you had mm. you know, it was a very driver oriented you had the center stack that was tilted towards the driver but it was, you know typically very black stark you know this is so much more luxurious you know, I mean, it, it feels like a $100,000 car, which is what this one cost. It was $101,450.
2: Which is quite a uh, deal compared a to the original when you adjust the dollars. Yes. Yeah. I <laughs> went back again.
4: That 850i in 1990 was $90,000. Wow. Adjusted wow. for inflation today, that's $175,000. Wow. Right. Yeah. And, and, and
2: that, that first 850, 850i, I, they. They really did look like no other BMW, and they, they looked like nothing on the road. They still look modern today, which is mm-hmm. – so that's a design testament. But those were the first, I think, production car with uh, CAN bus or CAN, so controller yes. area network. And so I recall just colloquially there was a couple people who had them in town, and those cars were absolute nightmares to own <laughs> more than the like typical high-end German – Car was, yeah. which was no no. Well, what, one of
4: the one of the neat details of that V12 engine, it actually had two complete engine management systems.
2: Right, because uh, there wasn't had a V12. One for the left bank, yeah.
4: one for the right bank. Right. They had to talk and, to each other. It was, it, was the, it was the first one with um, with throttle by wire So you had a complete throttle by wire system. Wow. And if one side, you know, if one engine management system failed or a sensor failed on one side, the thing could actually ru- continue to run on the other half of the engine on, the, on six cylinders. You know, just because it had a completely redundant engine management system for the other side of the engine. Wow. So it, it was it was pretty wild. But yes, they, they did have a lot of issues with them. But this this 840i I drove is a six cylinder engine. So it's half the, you know, half the number of cylinders it makes 335 horsepower and 368 foot pounds of torque now, you know, which is more power and torque than that V12 did from only three liters. It's more fuel efficient. Uh, I got about 22 miles per gallon with it. Um, <laughs> it. It's faster. It's about two seconds faster, 0 to 60. So the, the rear drive 840i will do about 4.6, according to BMW, at 4.3 if you get the all-wheel drive. Oh, that's and, so quick. You know, the the V12 850 was 6.3 seconds for the same thing. It weighs 200 pounds less, even though it's you know bigger and has a lot more features in it than, the, than that original one did. So <clears throat> we've made tremendous progress, you know, over the last 30 years. Um, I just, I don't know that this one will be as memorable as that original eight series was. Uh, But, you know, it's in, in every objective way, it's a far better vehicle than it was then. Um, And I really enjoyed driving.
2: I was going to say, so all of those things aside, did you like it?
4: Yeah, I loved it. It was great. I mean, you know, it, it's, one of those typical coupes, you know, that has a back seat. That you look at it, why bother? You know, just make a nice carpeted shelf to put, you know, packages or car, you know, luggage on. You know, for for a weekend road trip. But you know, other than that, you know, the the rest of it was great. I didn't bother, you know, I didn't bother turning off the gesture control or or trying to use it. You know, it's stupid. But you know, the rest of it, you know, it just worked great.
3: Yeah, I loved it. I I had so much fun with this. I had it uh, back in April and it was still, you know, we were knee deep in quarantine and no traffic. So I'm, we're driving it across the Tappan Zee bridge here uh, and just being able to fly. Well, that's the new Tappan Zee too. So
2: it's like, you just look down and you're like, holy crap, I'm doing 120. Oh (laughs) my
3: gosh. It's so true. And it just was such a cool, again, like that, you know, that sort of, classic BMW really the ultimate driving machine it continues to be that and and I loved it and the interior I had the black and red interior the interior was just to die for and I the, the gesture control I, I was able to pretty much just ignore it uh, but I like the dial that they have in mm-hmm. there I think it's really easy to use it's funny I was just looking back at my pictures and I actually don't have my fuel economy unfortunately but I don't think it was terrible, you know. I I didn't remember thinking it was like, wow, that was bad. But mine tapped out at a hundred thousand, just over a hundred thousand and some change. But yeah, yeah. It's I mean, a even,
4: fun... even if you get the the M8 Competition Coupe, you know that yeah. one's priced at one hundred and forty six, which is still less than you know the adjusted price of the eight fifty, and it's. A far faster car, yeah. know, yes, a much yeah. higher performance. Car. And that's like, yeah. I
2: remember that with the 850. So the 850 has the twin turbo V8, right? I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. So performance was with, without question impressive. Um, it sounded good. It was quick. I mean, that it's for for that sort of competitive set. Like, what does it compete with? It competes with like the Mercedes SL. Um, yeah,
4: Mer- Mercedes. You know, the Mercedes S Class Coupe. You know, and convertible, you know, the SL is a two-seater. The The S-Class Coupe, I think, is more the direct competitor for this one. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, the, uh, the Lexus LC. The Lexus you know, LC, really, I was thinking you know, of, yeah. Kind of these, these grand touring coupes that are, you know, fairly, relatively high performance, um, but really more for, you know, luxury, you know, to to go, you know, go long distances at high speeds, you know, with a partner, you know, I, as I opposed can be down to with being that. a sports car.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, GTs are where it's at. <laughs> oh, absolutely, they're, they're yeah.
4: fantastic. So cool.
2: I'd have a yeah. hard time choosing. I think between the BMW and the and the the Lexus, um, the, L- oh, the LC is really the, well
4: done. The the, L- the L- I love the LC. <laughs> <laughs> the LC is great. It, like, nope. the LC. <laughs> nope. You know, it, it drives so well, and that and en- that V8 engine sounds so good. Yeah,
2: I do like a Mercedes. I don't know. I, uh, you know I what? I'm just gonna have to try them all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, What'd right. you drive? So uh went completely different. It's been <laughs> truckville up here. Um so which has been fantastic for all the home improvement. Um but this week it's a twenty twenty Ford F three fifty platinum with wow. the uh, with the six point seven liter power stroke. So, so that's probably
4: more expensive than the uh, I know,
2: right? Drive. How it's, much was that thing? It's eighty. Um, roughly 80. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, bargain. it's, it, yeah, it surprised me. It's not quite as expensive as I thought it would be. And that's even with like the $600 of, for the, the white metallic paint where it looks, it looks sharp. It's a, it's a good looking truck. Uh, it's clearly super capable, uh, in a way that I'm not going to be able to really evaluate. But one of the things I did notice about it was even as an F350, it doesn't ride offensively stiff. So you, you could you know if you if you had a need to to daily it i i guess
4: <laughs> um it, it's, hey, you'd be surprised how many people actually do
2: it's it's i mean the the six point seven liter power circuit is like hugely powerful it's it's very well behaved you know it's it's not like the old diesels and i think that's been pretty much what we've said about Diesels for a long time now It's just like it It starts up pretty quick. There's no waiting for it to glow. It it, uh, is pretty smooth. It's got enough of the diesel sound, so you you feel like you bought the big rig. Uh, The Platinum has a nice interior. And this isn't even the top trim level of uh, F-Series. Truck, I've, I've, there's there's another one above. This. Oh, I think
4: there, I, there's limited is limited above platinum or below platinum. I can't remember. Keep talking, I'll look it up. Yeah,
2: it's not the top trim. Uh, it's it's I think it's like second to the second to the top. And you know, it's a crew cab. I, I don't know how many configurations this is available in, but this is this is the crew cab with I think the six and a half foot bed and the 160 inch wheelbase. So it's it's big. It's it's a long truck, but it's not quite as gargantuan as, uh, some of them can get. So it, it will fit, I think in most, uh, most places that you, you wanted to, to go, uh, in most garages. Um, and it's, it's a nice luxurious place to be. I will say, you know, Ford, Ford is really leaning hard into trucks, uh, and they're doing a great job at it. You know, this is a very well thought out truck. Just all of the the setup for for towing and the features with the the camera so that you can um, hook the trailer and stuff. And then uh, I think the uh, the 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 pro trailer backup assist, I wanted to get the words right, um, will help you. Because that's always the thing, right? When you're trying to back up a trailer and figure out which way do I turn the wheel to make the back of the trailer go (laughs) and you end up all crossed up. So they've harnessed the technology to, to help you with that. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot of money, but it's not as much as I thought it would be. And when you're talking about buying something for a business, it, it really, you know, the, the money becomes somewhat less of an issue because you can, you can write it down a bit. So there's, there's some of that accounting that you can help you out. Well, I
4: mean that what, what they, you know, typically these will be leased.
2: Yeah, well, and so leasing, I mean, you just basically yeah. fix your cost and, and off you go. Um, yeah. And then you lease another one and another one. Um, but the capability is clearly there. If you want to ride around in a pretty comfortable environment and also need the thing to actually put its shoulder to the work, uh, this is, you know, that class of truck. COVID has us all kind of stir crazy i'm like we let's get it let's get a travel trailer let's go let's get one of these things yeah. um and this th- like this is a lovely way to to travel that way so again like you know horse people have uh, lots of dough and they pull horse trailers this would pull the hell out of a horse trailer <laughs>
4: very oh, comfortably yeah. so uh, as you were talking you know, i looked it up the f350 is available you know as a regular cab super cab or crew cab right with two box lengths six and three quarter feet and eight feet and the option of single rear wheel or dual rear wheel. Right, so this so is a single. Five different wheelbase combinations.
2: It's a lot, you know. Ford Ford does trucks, really, Like they are, they are the truck company. And I, I'm, I know, I'm on record as like not being the hugest Ford truck fan. But uh, most of that griping is the sort of materials and. Um, The design of the interior, Um, the materials themselves are pretty good, but I just look at it and I'm like, even for $80,000, this is a $40,000 truck in, in interior. You know, they've dressed it up with some real metal and, you know, little leather on top of the dash and stuff. It just, again, you should go sit in one and see what you think. Uh, because there's that's open to debate about taste and sort of impressions <laughs> interior-wise, but I just I feel like it's too expensive to feel so cheap. Y- they've tried, and it's comfy, and it's quiet, and it's it's a nice place to be. But uh, I just you know that's really the only thing I can gripe about I, the truck itself. Ford trucks are just as competitive, I think, as just about everything else. Um, so it comes down to to preference. Um, so. If you got, and, you know, it's, it's not unusual
4: for <laughs> truck owners to accumulate multiple hundreds of thousands of miles on these things.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, look, if you want to do three hundred thousand miles, don't you want to do it in comfort? Um, and and so that's that's it's uh, a pretty good argument. And the, the cab is huge, so it's really like it's two thirds of an expedition. Yeah. So wow. I mean, if, if you want yeah. an
4: expedition with a a big bed and an eight foot bed on the back. You know, so you can bring bring your, you know, your four by eight sheets of plywood home you know, without having to invade the the passenger space. There you go.
3: Is some of the compromise on the interior in the name of durability?
2: Uh, maybe. Um, I think what it is, is you know, they've got a hard thing to do, right? They've got the F series interior goes from the, I don't know, twenty two thousand twenty four thousand dollar XL F one fifty XL all the way up to the the platinum you know that's the or, yeah. or whatever's above it I, you know the king
4: ranch the, yeah the the, lim- the limited uh is only available on the f450 and that's the top trim that's okay. the one that goes up to 100 grand
2: they they all start from the same basic stuff and that's where I think right. my my offense with the interior comes is like <laughs> you look at this interior and you see all the way down to the XL and and that's it's mm. it's hard to to do without making, you know, the the eighty thousand dollar truck have a unique dashboard or unique unique um, you know materials and stuff. It just it
4: gets it gets expensive Although, and stupid. You know, so um, to their credit, you know, Ram does it better than anybody. Ram yeah, does a yes. great job. Yeah,
2: and and the way they do it is, and it may not even be more expensive materials. See, this is perception versus you know the actual like. Uh, hard costs it just it looks and feels better trucks is is one of the most competitive segments and um i think if you want if you want to really feel like a valued customer and that the company is really listening to you go buy a truck because they yes they pay attention to those those folks and they uh they really offer you all kinds of stuff to make your life easy if you have a job to do that involves truck. And, and I, know you're right. I, I well, quite I, like I, it.
4: I remember a few years ago, you know, um, hearing that for the F series, there were Ford had about roughly 14 million buildable combinations for the F series.
3: Oh, gosh, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, if,
4: you, if you if you add up all the permutations of the different variants, the different trim levels, the different colors, cabs, bed lengths, you know, single wheel, dual wheel. Yeah you know, all 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 that different stuff. Yeah, it's around 14 million and I think it might actually be more now because there's actually more engine options now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they even have like a PTO <laughs> Option. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and I will say uh, this is a great segue because um, it seems like the Bronco has broken the Ford build and price site quite a bit. <laughs> like I keep getting yeah. to, you know, like the little Bronco <laughs> splash screen. So you know what? Let's let's just say like if you want a truck and you like Fords, the F three hundred and fifty Platinum is a really nice one, and it's not as expensive as I thought. Even with the diesel, it's a ten thousand dollar option. So this truck is about seventy grand without the diesel, which is it seems like wow. a, a decent you know in terms of fancy pickups. That's not terrible.
3: Yeah, um, no, it's Super Duty. Yeah, that's that's not bad.
2: Uh, so the Bronco uh, has finally broken cover, and there's a lot to the Bronco and the Bronco Sport. And uh, so there's two doors, four doors, um, compact, more soft rotor than off-roader, although I'm sure the Bronco Sport can hold its own. I, I mean, you guys were in the, uh, in the presentation that seemed like it – had just like high point after high point after high point. My Twitter was like on fire <laughs> with with all the Bronco news. Um, it seems like it was it's kind of worth the wait. It seems like they've done a really comprehensive job.
4: Yeah. I and mean, you know the the thing I wrote in in my write up on Forbes about the particularly the, the Bronco, uh, the, the bigger Bronco, the midsize Bronco, is you know What Ford has done—it's interesting, you know—in the past year, they've done this twice now. They, where they're going into a segment where they don't currently have a product, and they've looked around. It's like, who is the leader in this segment? Okay, what are they doing? Let's do exactly the same thing. You know, they (laughs) did this with the Mach-E. They, you know, they copied, um, you know, the Tesla playbook for the Mach-E in almost every way. You know, and then add, you know, a few few details of their own, you know, that, that things that, you know, they're supposedly good at. Uh, and now they've done it with the Bronco, where they have looked at Jeep, and basically completely replicated what Jeep does, particularly with the Wrangler, and then for the Bronco Sport, you know, with the Compass, uh, at least the, the Trailhawk version of the Compass. And, um, you know, they now they obviously they have to execute on that plan. But you know, in terms of picking all the thing, you know, what are all the things that people love about Wrangler? Let's do all of that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they, you know, they've done that, you know, they, and they've, you know, they've added on top of that, you know, built in some really neat details that, you know, Wrangler doesn't do right now. Things like, you know, on a Wrangler, you can remove all the doors, remove the roof, you know, you get soft top and hard top versions, you know, there's two door and four door. You know, on the Bronco, you have all that. Plus, with a Wrangler, when you take off the doors, there's nowhere to stash them inside the vehicle. You either have to leave them at home, or, you know, one of the things they mentioned, you know, that people do, um, you know, during the presentation was, you know, Wrangler drivers will drive up to the trailhead, they'll take off the doors and they'll chain them to a tree near the trailhead, you know, and then pick them up on the way out, you know, Um, with the Bronco. You, know, you can. There's actually space in the back. To the doors are frameless. The windows are frameless, uh, unlike on the Wrangler where you've got you know full metal frame around the, the windows. So you know the doors are you know smaller. They're you know half the size, and you can actually stash them in the back. You know in the cargo area of the Bronco, and they you know you they even have sleeves that you can stick the doors in so you don't scratch them. You know so you sl- stick them in the sleeve stash them in the back and you take them with you. You don't have to leave anything behind little details like that. And the, the handles that are on the, the corn the front corners of the fenders, you know, there's these little, these loops that, you know, are both that serve multiple purposes. Um, you know, they talked about the design, you know, and it, it draws on the original Bronco, but doesn't, it's not a, you know, like a really retro design, um, you know, and so you've got the raised ridges along the edge of the front fenders which helps with being able to see where are the corners of the vehicle, which, you know, when you're maneuvering in tight places, that's really important. Uh, and then they have these these handles on, right on the front corners, which are, you know, kind of your spotter guides, you know. Uh, but they're also, they can be used, you know, when you've got a canoe or a kayak tied to the roof, you can, that's your tie-down point for those. So instead of wrapping the cords or the, the rope, you know, around you know, over the edge and tying it to the bumper like you would with a Wrangler, you tie it right to that, you know, so you're not you don't have the, the tie downs you know, or the, you know, the restraints, you know, rubbing against the paint. Uh, you know, so just a lot of little details like that, which I thought were really cool. They did a lot of emotional solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of those like you get you
3: are like, oh, this is really great. This makes me feel good because I can just take care of my doors or things like that quickly, uh, you know, with, with just a, a, it was very, very thoughtful. There's a lot of thoughtful details in it. And I love the fact that it just, it looks like it's supposed to look, you know, <laughs> like when you unveiled it, you're like, oh, good. That's what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> there was that sense of that, of meticulous attention to history, uh, without repeating it, you know, it, it moved the design forward. I mean, it's, it's almost cartoonish. But not in that FJ, you know, and the Toyota FJ yeah. Cruiser sort of look. It just was restrained enough. You know, they often talk about, like, in the studio, in the design studio, where you go over a clay model and you kind of go over it one more time. You smooth out. Maybe you just, you know, you take one thing away. And I think that there was a lot of very thoughtful restraint in the design of this to. Just pull it back from being cartoonish.
2: Yeah, and it, it's they. I like that they've done their own spin on things too. You know, the the Ford uh, solution for the the half doors with the, the actually like like the hole in the middle. Um, right. I think that's that's really clever, and it, it makes you sort of look twice. Um, and the, yeah, it's hard to argue that the styling is um, anything other than eye-catching. Uh, and and the styling has some of the the features that are going to continue to sort of remind you that like, Hey, they were, they really thought about this, like the, the peaks on the fenders. So, you know, where the, the edges of the car are, that's, that's pretty uh, smart thinking. Um, so I wonder though, like, is this, is this another product like the Wrangler? Like you talk about, uh, bus boys and billionaires. Yes. Is this, Going to expand the market, or is it only going to just consume some of the Wrangler's sales?
3: Mm, that's a really, really good question. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's. It, I think. I think we could see some some incremental growth. Uh, we certainly will see some potentially some cannibalization, but you know, there may be people who, for whatever reason, you know, Jeep. Uh, whether I don't think it's entirely fair, but sometimes people you know, are concerned about the reliability right. of Jeep. And so maybe that was a barrier to purchase for people. I think we would really have to look at rejector data for people who chose not to buy a Jeep to understand mm. where the, the market could be for this and and you know like we've talked about a lot with pickup truck loyalty there is some element of loyalty here uh, that you know Jeep owners may have as well i do think i mean just looking at it right now i just i think that there is definitely a lot of potential my my only concern is that this sport is a completely different vehicle in in that way that the that the compass trailhawk is, but there's no indication or minimal indication that that's the case, uh, that the sport is not the same. It's not built at the same factory. It's a completely different animal.
2: I think that so, that may be a calculated decision.
3: Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I realize that it is, but it's a little bit of a bait and switch sort of thing. I, I think that it could turn some people off, though. Uh, that. You know, you go in thinking, oh, I'm going to get that. And then you're like, wait, this is not what I thought it was. So I think that's a I think they're going to have to manage expectations uh, in terms of, of better defining that the sport is really a completely different vehicle.
4: Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little less worried about that. Um, You know, I think, you know, it's a smaller vehicle, you know, I mean, it's got. Some of the same similar styling cues, but, you know, it's enough different that, you know, and, and, you know, the overall layout, you know, the fact that, first of all, you know, it's, there's no removable top, no removable doors. Um, you know, I think, you know, people that want that kind of modularity from a Bronco, you know, and that want, you know, the, the really hardcore off-road capability, I don't think they're going to be confused, um. You know, I think I think they'll you know they'll be fine. You know, I think that you know, the you know while the the Broncos Sport has you know off road capability like you know like you and I have seen with the Compass Trailhawk. Well, it's off uh, it's
2: four wheel drive only,
4: right? That was when yes, was it's four wheel drive only, and so it's it's not all wheel drive like the Escape is. You know, and I think this this is actually one of the interesting things that Ford's done over the past year. This splitting of the Escape. You know where previously the Escape was tried to be all things to all people, but it was never really an off-roader, even though they kind of alluded to that in some of the marketing. It was never really that off-road vehicle, and they they distinctly moved the current generation Escape towards more of you know the urban suburban commuter vehicle, and you know split that platform now. So you've got the Sport, which you know where the Escape is all-wheel drive, you know which you know is part-time you know uh, you know automatic. This is a four-wheel drive vehicle. Yeah, you know, it's full-time four-wheel drive. It unlike the the Jeep, it doesn't have a two-speed transfer case, but you know, I think most people probably never use that in a Compass anyway. Um, yeah, you know, so I think I think that there's enough differentiation there that people are going to be less confused by well, yeah. You
3: know. I mean, I t- I was on a panel and and with somebody who had been who had seen uh, she she'd been able to go to the all of the of the event that they had down in Maryland and she said I she didn't actually and this is somebody in the field you know she, a journalist in the field she said I have to tell you that I have access to all the marketing materials and I didn't realize that it wasn't built at the same plant that it wasn't it really was not related at all so you know and and other and so I don't know I just I feel like there, I'm. am a. It's not going to be a barrier per se, but I do think that there. I would have liked to have seen more, def, more uh, differentiation between the two models, like Jeep has done with the mm-hmm. Compass and the Wrangler. That's
4: yeah, just, it, 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 just, no, just, no it's it's, it's, a re, it's reasonable. I mean, you know, and it, we won't know for sure until they actually start selling them and see how yes. people respond to it.
2: For yeah. sure. Yeah, and I think too. Um, well, I mean, she she was there, and she sort of lumped them all together. I, I was just going to say, like seeing them all together, size wise and stuff, the the differences may may stand out a little more. So if you see in that showroom environment,
3: yeah, but I don't think that it's clear from and, and this this were this was her words from a marketing the, all the marketing materials. It's not clear that this is a different platform, a different plant a yeah. different animal altogether. Well,
2: I mean, I think like as a marketer, um, I wouldn't want that to be clear. Because <laughs> yeah. no, you're, but, you're but launching the Bronco brand. But yeah. from a consumer, I would. Well, so what you're trying to do though, as a marketer, is you're trying to get the Bronco brand launched and say, look, we have a Bronco for you. If you, if you want to do the Jeep thing, look, there's the Bronco four-door, two-door. Cool. Um, oh, you're, you'd like a little bit more of this or that, or you don't care so much about the removable doors. Something a little bit more manageable or, or, or less burly. Check out the Bronco Sport. You know, it still right. has the Bronco flavor. So I can I can see it. I totally understand that it is confusing and that may they be off-putting. Um, so I like. Like any other launch, right? It comes down to <laughs> how good the dealers do.
3: <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. We'll see. Um, but yeah. But I think they did a great job overall, though.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's really interesting to hear the feedback that, that um, it's not, not necessarily clear like that. Because we get so focused on details. It's, it's, <gasps> it's so easy for us sometimes to, to lose sight of like what it appears like out in the right. world.
4: And to the average consumer, you know, I don't think they in general really care where it's built or what platform it's on it's you know it's like what am i going to use this thing for which one has the capabilities that i need
3: no, no that's not what i'm saying though that's not the priority the priority to me is that the consumer understands what they're really buying that these are two <coughs> that these are two very very different products yeah called yeah. called the same thing you know with that same headline yeah. then there's a significant divergence yeah. that needs to be clarified. I think. And, and as you say, Dan, that, that is in large part, the dealer responsibility, but even, you know, I know that I don't know exactly how many reservations they had, but you know, it, again, it's, it's not when you're on the site, you can reserve one or the other and, you know, reading the Broncos sport definition it's not at all clear that this is car based and not, you know, it is all wheel drive four four by four. But again, I just I think that people may get something that they're not expecting. Yeah. They may reserve something that doesn't have that level of capability because people may say, oh, I don't need the doors to come off. I'll just get the Bronco Sport, not realizing that it is a completely different animal. I mean,
2: yeah. And, and I really I can't wait to drive them to see what the character differences are too. Yes. Um, so
3: for sure, for sure, absolutely.
2: We'll see how Ford does with these. Uh, I'm. Uh, they've clearly invested a lot in it, and uh, there's a lot riding on on this. So hopefully, it does expand the market. There is some pent up demand for something that's not a Jeep. Um,
3: I, I hope it. I hope it does really uh, well. I yeah, want them to do well.
2: Yeah.
4: And, and I think you know one. I think Ford. You know unlike jeep you know where jeep you know predominantly sells those vehicles as particularly the wrangler in north america you know ford does have more of a presence especially in middle east and africa um, you know they sell a lot of explorers and f150s and uh, uh, you know and and other trucks in middle east and africa and i suspect that there's probably going to be a fair amount of demand from that region for particularly for the bigger bronco um much more so and so you know there we may see if you look at total global sales you know i think there may be less cannibalization there Mm -hmm. you know when you factor in the the global market um as opposed to north america where i think you'll see more of the more of the cannibalization of, of jeep uh by the bronco and speaking of jeep you know they they didn't sit back this week either. You <laughs> well. know, they, 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 they did a couple of responses of their own. You know, the morning before the reveal, you know they they dropped you know the Wrangler 392 concept,
2: which you know, had, that had to have been one of the Easter Safari Jeeps that didn't, didn't
4: yeah that day this year. Yeah, so they're you know they're they're gonna they're gonna drop a V8 uh, into the Wrangler a Hemi, you know six point four liter Hemi into the Wrangler, which could be a lot of fun, and then. <laughs> A um, couple of days later, you know, after Ford for um, for some reason opted not to talk about the hybrid during the uh, launch of the Bronco, um, you know, uh, Jeep put out a, a teaser video of the Wrangler 4xe, which is the plug-in hybrid that's launching this year. You know, and you just see this Wrangler going through you know this off-road terrain completely silently on battery power alone. It's crazy. Yeah.
3: And they have a diesel version as well, too.
4: They do have a diesel as well, which you currently cannot get from Ford. Um, wouldn't yeah? I wouldn't be surprised to see you know Ford maybe drop the diesel, you know, offer the diesel in the four door big Bronco. Yeah. Um, but they're you know they certainly will be doing uh, hybrids uh, and po- and probably plug in hybrids. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't surprise me to see them put the the plug-in hybrid with that 2.7 liter V6, you know, for a high performance um, Bronco, uh, you know, similar to what they've done with the uh, uh, the Aviator Grand Touring, you know, do a high performance version of that.
2: So we did have a question about the the Bronco too from a, a listener. Um, Jared Henshaw asked if it's on a new platform or if it's based on the Ranger. And I think it is a new platform that's going to be shared with the Ranger. Is that correct? It's
4: yeah, it's the next generation body-on-frame platform <coughs> that the ne- the next gen Ranger is gonna is gonna share that platform with this. Uh, so it's an evolution of what they have in the and Bron- the Ranger today. Okay, um, and
2: is that EV or hybrid capable?
4: Ford has said, uh, they first said a couple of years ago, and they've repeated it since, that all of their new um, utilities and trucks will have electrified powertrain options available. You know, it's not clear exactly which combination they'll put in, in which Bronco, but there will be, at, at the very least, a hybrid version in each of these vehicles, they they have that modular hybrid system that they're putting in the F one hundred and fifty and the Explorer and the Aviator and, and everything else, you know, and eventually in the Mustang as well. It's based on the ten speed automatic. They put an electric motor in between the engine and torque converter. You know that gives them the, the power boost that, that they need. Oh, we we forgot to mention the drain plugs.
3: Oh, that's right. Yes. See, so,
4: so in the in the big Broncos, you can get you know one of the options is a rubberized floor. And it's got removable drain plugs, so you can go in, you know, pull the drain plugs out, go in and hose it out, you know, hose out the mud, you know, and it just drains down through the floor instead of collecting in there, which is, which is really nice. Um, And also the Sasquatch package. Right.
2: And the goat modes.
4: The goat Um, modes, but the the Sasquatch, you know, so you can, you can get the Sas, you know, the Sasquatch package is the hardcore off-road package. So that includes things like the, disc, you know, the disconnectable stabilizer bars, you know, the big 35-inch tires and a bunch of other things in there. Um, and you can order that as a separate package on any of the seven trim levels. Uh, so, uh, you know, from the base all the way up to, you know, the, the Wild Track um, or the Overland or Badland, whichever one. Badlands, Badlands I, yeah. I think is the top one. Uh, so you can get that on any of them. But not on the Bronco Sports. You can't get a Bronco Sport with the Sasquatch package, but you can get it with the with any of the big Broncos. Yeah, and
2: this is why um, I say, like, there's just a lot of depth here, and mm-hmm. you, you almost need, like, a, a, a bulletin board with, like, a, you know, string charts. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, um, even with, like, so manual transmission is something that us over here in, in auto writer world love to talk about. And so you can get it on the Bronco, you can get a seven speed manual, but you can only get it with but not the, with the Sasquatch. Package. Right. And you can and you can right. only get it with the two point three liter EcoBoost, which is a fine engine. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. It's like, that's a good powerful little power plant. Um, and that's so it's available but for serious off-roading really the automatic is better anyway I'll you know let, let's not hurt anybody's pride um so that <laughs> and they they know that uh so not only for the use case the equipment level is 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 matched properly so you've got the 10-speed auto which is a fantastic transmission with the the larger engine but also um you know, they, they they know what most people are going to buy anyway. Mm-hmm. You need to, if you're interested in the Bronco, you need to go and play with the website <laughs> and, and They're not see. offering
4: it just with these, you know, fancy aluminum wheels, too. I mean, you can get the Bronco with, there's two different steel wheel options. There's, you know, the base 16-inch steel wheel, and then there's a 17-inch steel wheel as well. You know, and the, the base Bronco, the way they describe the base Bronco is, you know, this is, if you know they're they're going to have at launch something like 200 different accessories that you can get, you know, both from factory accessories and and from third you know, aftermarket uh, partners. Um, and you know, if what you want is not on the menu, you can build whatever you want. You know, you can take the base Bronco and build it any way you want and you know <laughs> customize it to your heart's it's content. Like you know, and that thing starts at 30 grand.
2: I mean, and, and all the body panels are removable and easily swappable because, like, they they really, whether or not you you like Ford or you're you're a big fan of the Bronco or whatever, like you have to give them respect. They they really they thought this thing through. <laughs>
3: oh, and I love how similar the two and four door look. You know, you're not compromising a lot on looks if you go to the four door. You know, or or if you keep it a two door. But no, I they did. They did a lot of things incredibly well here. And those, those different small details, those emotional solutions, lots of different drive modes, you know, they, they did a lot of things really, really well here. I hope, I, I hope they succeed. So there's, I was just playing with it a little bit and it looks like the wild track High speed off road is the most expensive.
2: Yeah, then version. that's that's got like that's kind of like the Raptor version of the Bronco, right? Yeah, right. yeah.
4: I mean more more directly um, comparable to the the Mojave, the Jeep Mojave. Ah, the right. Yeah, Gladiator
3: 51,
4: Mojave. Fifty one thousand. Yeah, I well, mean that's, that's to start with
3: for the four door starting start at with. yeah forty eight yes. for the for the two door. Yeah, but it looks awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, they've they Look, if Ford needs to bring this kind of um comprehensive thoughtful approach to station wagons. Yes. <laughs> like the Flex cuz that worked out well. Well, no, I mean the Flex. <laughs> I, I want a real like a country squire. <laughs> <laughs> the wood on the sides, make it real oh, wood. Goodness. Um, I mean we can switch patterns, yeah. I'm sure they'll get okay, right on. What it. else do we have? All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with the Nissan Aria just, Aria. uh, briefly. The Nissan Leaf has quietly been plugging away for, for a decade. And so Nissan really knows EVs a lot more than some of the other larger manufacturers. And the Aria is their second product. Um, it's a little bit larger than the Leaf. It's a, it's a crossover. Um, and they unveiled it this week. There's a lot to like here. Um, it's not quite the sporty approach like Ford took with the, the Mach-E. It's a little bit more mainstream. Um, but it's it's a nice design piece, and uh, it's a good complement to, to the Leaf. The way they've made it a sort of design showpiece inside with the interiors still bugs me with the screens and the minimal controls and stuff. I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to get cranky about that, but that's probably <laughs> just me. <laughs>
4: No. no. I'll, I'll probably be cranky about it too. It's beautiful no, to look I, at. I,
3: yeah, but I I I just give me a good volume and tuning knob, please. It
2: does have a volume knob from what I can see. <laughs> it has a volume knob. Tuning you might be on your own.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's beautiful looking. I you know, it is appealing to the market. I like that as you know we talked about earlier, EV adoption has been a struggle. And so, you know, maybe getting more people Into getting getting EVs into a size of vehicle that people are buying, and you know, may be a good thing for them.
2: Yeah, well, Sam, you did a great write up on it for for Forbes. It kind of went through all the the high points. Well,
4: you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the Mach E, and back in late 2017, you know, Ford did a complete pivot with their EV program. Before the Mach E, they were working on a front wheel drive electric crossover. It was very much like what this is i mean this is basically what the path that ford was on before they pivoted to the mach e you know it was you know this 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 vehicle the aria is almost exactly the same length as the rogue you know so that puts about the same size as, as a escape and that's what ford was was working on you know was a more conventional mainstream crossover um, you know this the, the single motor version of the Aria is front wheel drive rather than rear wheel drive. Um, you know Ford went the opposite direction. They followed the Tesla path. Um, you know this in dual motor configuration. This should actually have you know pretty probably pretty similar performance capability to uh, to what the Mach E and the, the Model Y are doing. Um, you know, it's going to have 388 horsepower from the dual motor. And this will be the first North American model for Nissan that has their ProPilot 2.0 system on it, which is their, their hands-free, partially automated system, you know, similar to GM Super Cruise and Ford's Active Drive Assist. And we'll be seeing a lot more from other manufacturers in the next year or two as well. One thing to keep in mind is that even though they showed this now, it doesn't go on sale in Japan until about a year from now, and it won't be here in the U.S. until late next year. So it's it's a good 16 months away from launch uh, before we actually see these things on the road here. And it's also going to start at about $40,000. So it's not inexpensive.
2: That's before uh, incentives and rebates, which I guess they need to stop yeah. sort of relying on those but to it, bring the price down. I mean, Forty grand is... I is
3: Nissan running out of federal
4: as of the end of as as of the end of june they were at about 145,000 sales. oh so
3: they're halfway through is it 300 uh, or two, is it 200 or 300
4: it's 200,000 it's
3: 200,000 okay at the, at
4: the pace that they're selling leaves yeah. <laughs> um they they probably won't hit 200,000 before early 2022 right okay um, but it's, so so at least through the end of 2022 you'll be able to get if not the full 7500 at least a partial rebate
3: right because it starts trailing off when the when the manufacturer hits 200,000 yeah it's they start uh, trailing off that $7,500 rebate
4: yeah
2: at least for now I mean who knows what's gonna happen maybe we could uh, we could extend those rebates perhaps maybe <laughs> we'll see is the Aria gonna get here before the model well, I guess the model Y is kind of already
4: the model Y is here yeah. yeah you can buy them now there's there's plenty yeah, of them but in the, inventory
2: but there's
3: a, those are very different buyers so you think yeah. so yeah, because the, uh, the work that we did in Saudi showed a very different profile for somebody who buys buys a Tesla versus somebody who buys a Nissan.
2: I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to think like if you want an EV in this sort of size and form factor, it doesn't ma- Brand doesn't matter as much as sort of like what's available. But I, I guess brand matters. <laughs> brand still matters. Yeah, um, I, no, I like it. So,
4: certainly, I, I think it probably matters a lot when you're talking about Nissan versus Tesla. You know, I think. I think people that really want a Tesla are going to buy a Tesla. They're not even going to consider a Nissan. But, you know, when you start looking at the broader audience, I think, you know, of people that, you know, want to move to an EV, you know, you know people that buy Rogues or RAV4s or Escapes today, you know, and they want to move to an EV. And it, they're going to look at that and, you know, maybe see some of the issues that Tesla's had, you know, the fact that there's no dealers and it's tough to get service. And, you know, maybe they'll say, okay, well, you know, let's let's give this Nissan a shot.
2: Yeah. Well, and this is also, like, is this going to be shared with the other Alliance members?
4: Yeah. The platform is a new dedicated EV platform that was developed by the Alliance, and it will be used for other vehicles from Nissan, Renault, and Mitsubishi.
2: Okay. let well, see. So, so Mitsubishi... It has some of the sort of oldest, most uh, antique kind of uh, <laughs> PHEV stuff on the on the market now, like with the Outlander PHEV, which I, I think is it's probably their their best, most saleable product. Um, this could be a shot in the arm for them, where they're just oh, suffering in the market. So, yeah. Um, all right, it would be cool to see. Well, that, that reminds me. Of
4: one other thing that that's changing with this, um, you know, right today. Nissan and Mitsubishi are the only two brands that sell plug-in vehicles in North America with CHAdeMO charging connectors for DC fast charging. that's right. The the Aria is, at least for North America and Europe, is switching to uh, CCS. Um, They apparently will continue with CHAdeMO for now, although it sounds like the call that you were on, Rebecca, it sounds like they said that they're going to keep CHAdeMO in Japan. I was on a call with... um, Nissan's new chief operating officer, and the implication there that he, you know, from what he said was that it sounded like they might be going CCS across the board. Uh, so so
3: sure. I was on a later call, and I think they may have corrected him because okay. he very distinctly said that Chatemo continuing in Japan, okay. CCS in Europe, and the U.S.
4: Yeah, Chatham- I remembered.
3: I remembered reading you that that Chathamo for CCS yeah. charging, and then somebody asked him about it.
4: Yeah, so, you know, is more established in, in the Japanese market. You know, they, they acknowledge that, you know, CCS is, you know, while Chathamo had an earlier, you know, a head start in North America with, with the LEAF, um, the, um, you know, CCS has been taking over. Everyone else is using CCS, and the, the network of CCS DC fast charging is growing much faster um, than Chathamo. Uh, and, and it also supports higher charging speeds. So this is going to have support for up to 130 kilowatts charging. The Leaf Plus can do um, 100 kilowatts now, although it, it's ca- the car is capable of 100 kilowatts. But um, the fastest, pretty much the fastest Chatham chargers you'll find in the U.S. are 50 kilowatts.
2: I think it's going to be really, really pleasant to 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 drive, to own, to operate. Because I, I was really impressed with the Leaf Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was just really, really well done. Uh, and it was just so normal. You know, it, it's it, like we were talking about before. Like, just you got to drive an EV to, to experience, have, like, have that experience. It was just, it didn't matter that it was an EV. It just did everything I needed to do. And there was no compromise. You know, it's just right. other than having to fill it up with electricity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, For sure.
3: Do we, we want to mention still that the new the new drug that's on the market, Stellantis? Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Fiat yeah, Chrysler and Peugeot or PSA have combined, and of course they're in the process. Been, they're wow. in the process of combining, and there's always been a lot of discussion as to what name they would come up with with all this psas and fcas and all this different thing and um so the other day i was actually at the at the eye doctor with my mother when uh, jeff gilbert from wwe Right, not WWE. It's a WWJ. <laughs> WWJ. <laughs> <camping That's>, <laughs> it's
2: a little different. it seem on the top rope.
3: <laughs> can, can't imagine
4: Jeff standing on the top
3: rope. <laughs> <laughs> WWJ sends me a text and says, Hey, can I call you in five minutes to get your reaction? If, and if you haven't seen the name, uh, don't look. All right, this is interesting. So after they kicked me out of the doctor's office for being on my cell phone, I went outside of the parking lot and he said it. And I was like, my first thought, and I couldn't say this for a wider spread audience because I didn't want to offend, but it it sounded like the stuttering sort of version of Atlantis. And I immediately called up the, the hotels that they have and I'd actually stayed near one in Dubai that has, you know, that very classic sort of Atlantis hotel look. But that's what I my first thought was it sounds like a weird version of an undersea world. Later on, I saw people talking about how it sounds like a prescription medicine, which I thought was absolutely, absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it
2: does. It sounds on. Like it sounds like the thing you'd see, like you know, the the, the two tubs on a hillside. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like,
3: with some appropriately aged couple right, in there,
2: right? You know, holding
3: hands lightly with this with right. the champagne or the
2: wine glass. If you have one them. of those
4: boomer deficiencies, <laughs> and it lasts for more than four hours, please see a doctor. <laughs>
2: right. So, yeah, I don't know where they, where did they come up with Stellantis? Have they explained, like, what the... It's Latin. Yeah, it's there's, Latin. yeah
4: there's, there's a meaning to it. It's um, Latin.
2: What is it supposed to mean? Bad name? <laughs> I,
3: no, Jeff said that the press release was so flowery he couldn't even really read it.
4: Uh, okay, It's, it's right. rooted it's, it's, in, it's in it's the scale. Latin verb stella right. and that's I, with stars. I, right, that's what I thought yes. about,
2: is like, Stella is a star, so, um, Chrysler, the pentastar, so that makes some okay maybe, and, and, and the I...
4: ds brand uses kind of a star kind of logo okay so uh, i the, the best thing i saw you know somebody posted yeah you know, it's like just call it jeep incorporated
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. uh well no then there'll be no parent organization for jeep to kill Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> jeep, jeep jeep is the parasite that kills whatever it's, organization it's embedded in. yeah oh it's,
0: it's, my this gosh. is the curse of jeep
2: um yeah i i don't know like i i think uh we should we should get the uh, we should do a dramatic reading with music of the press release. <laughs> i think that's a good exactly idea. um
4: uh, we'll leave that to you to do okay i'll, I'll yes, do it then
2: please. um I'm making a note now because uh, oh I just. Oh my gosh! I mean, some some names like make sense. Like, uh, although you gotta admit, like Daimler Chrysler was sort of blunt, and Fiat Chrysler also sort of blunt. Like, uh, yeah, all right, we know what you are. But um, so I, I think that now they're they're trying to bring them both together, maybe. Versus but like, the
3: amount of money that was spent, because you know that they hired some schmancy fancy. branding name, branding branding company. The amount of money that was spent, and that went, everyone in the room went, oh, yes, please. This is like when the Aztec got approved for production. Somebody must have been paid off. Like...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm The Aztec, so... Yeah. I didn't mean to open up a whole nother no. no, no. I just like, I think that that was one of those cars that like it was a great idea. It was, Clearly it was a really good idea because like that's what the whole market is now. Their execution sucked on that. and
3: Well, and, and rebranding from PSA, FCA or FCA, PSA is a good idea. The execution on this sucked.
4: Yeah,
2: that's true. Okay. <laughs> to that's,
3: your
4: point. I mean, you, just, you don't want to have just a string of random letters as a, as a company name?
3: <laughs> well, and somebody pointed out, you know, it's better than Alphabet. And I'm like, okay, I get that, but Alphabet it was like, it, it, it's sort of like just whatever. This Stellantis, it, it does, it it does make it sound like something that should come with warning. Well, so you yes. know what,
2: our job as journalists is to use Stellantis as little as possible. If we hate it that much, <laughs> yeah. um, we can talk about it uh, certainly when they report sales or uh, you know profits and stuff at the corporate level. Stellantis, it is but then when we're talking about brands the brands are, are what makes the company anyway yeah. so we're still I mean, going to talk about the, the
4: reality then. is you know most yeah. people don't talk about psa either they talk about right. peugeot or Citroen or ds Yeah. You
2: know. yeah so maybe we can maybe we can just sort of bury the name <laughs> i like it it's
4: a good yeah, idea well i mean the, the 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 parent company of fca has a name too that nobody knows uh What's what's the Anjali family's holding company name? Um, See, so yeah, it's exactly oh. it. so we'll we'll forget about Stellantis anyway. What once yeah. the once the actual merger closes sometime next year, you know, we'll all forget about it except for the quarterly reports.
3: And and we don't know what they're going to be on the stock exchange. Right. What they'll be, what the, the JEP
2: <laughs> as well. Truly,
4: really, that's what they should do.
2: They should. Absolutely. <laughs>
4: They could have just called it Stella. Stella. There you go. I mean, probably you probably couldn't get a trademark on that though. Yeah. So this is one of the problems. Is you know, that yeah, that's they have true. To, they have to have something that they can actually get a trademark on. So that's why they have to come up with these stupid names or or weird spellings for existing words like yes. infinity with an I. On yes. It. But think, yeah, you're you know, right. Think
2: about the the brand campaign you could run for that. Like you could introduce the whole company. You could just license that clip from On the Waterfront. I mean. <laughs> oh. Stella! Right, It's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> Alright, I'm, I'm, I'm done giving away free ideas so you have to pay <laughs> me for more
4: <laughs> You can reach him at Dan at wheelbearings.media Right,
2: exactly, and we'll, we'll split it three ways because it's, uh, it's collaborative here <laughs>
4: um,
2: So alright, well good, I think that is uh, Podcast 155 and if there's anything you guys want to talk about, feel free to hit us up, you know where to find us and in the meantime we'll keep an eye on things and uh, we'll, we'll come back with our own things too <laughs> to chat about nice. next time